0: This is the Last Minute Blues Podcast with Donnie Fandango, Jeff Burton, Alex Ferrario, and former Blues defenseman Jamie Rivers. It is the Last Minute Blues Podcast. Donnie Fandango joined in the studio by Alex Ferrario from 101 ESPN, handling all your pre- and post-game Blues coverage. Also from The Athletic, the one and only Jeremy Rutherford uh, joining us uh, today. So, uh, gentlemen... We're really doing that? I don't think that we should boo each the other boo for the love of peace. The boo birds are out today. They, man, they, listen, I don't. I'm still getting used to the criticism that I personally get when the team does poorly. <laughs> like you're so, a part of the team, correct? So, so like that's just that is a real. that's a real different sort of thing, man. I lived that every game last year with Colton
1: Pareko. I was the Colton Pareko defender and Binnington defender, so every bad game I would get hundreds of messages. Are you still defending these guys, Ferrario? Didn't know how that happened, but okay. That's because yeah. you were. That's true. <laughs> I think the th- now I stand by it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think the thing that I try to reiterate throughout the course of this podcast, um, and I wrote it down here, but I gotta, um, I gotta go ahead and edit it. But it's I don't know ish. I, I just I don't. I love watching hockey. I love watching sports, but I don't know what I'm. Do- I don't know what I'm talking about. I just, I, I just, it was so great to get out of Metallica on Friday night and to see the Blues win and then to see them do it again on Saturday and get a chance to watch it. We're going to talk about all that in a second, but i got to talk about something even more important than that. So we're having like a potluck here. Like, oh, at yeah. work, like a Hubbard potluck thing. Thanksgiving potluck. Thanks yes. for the invite. Uh, re- remember, nah, you're invited. Stop <laughs> it. If you checked your email, I'm sure that you would see it. They him, didn't, there, didn't
1: invite Jr. They were uh, like, we need to make sure everybody has some first.
0: Oh, <laughs> oh come oh, on! He mess it up. I never do those. Come on, I needed that to. Low hanging fruit I never for do those with G- Jr. Christmas. Okay, <laughs> so they're telling everybody, bring a dish. Bring a dish. I have no problem with this it's a remembrance lunch because we have lost a couple of amazing folks over the course of the last couple of years for sure jeff burton being one of them here is where my problem lies (laughs) i have seen multiple dudes that we work with not wash their hands in that bathroom Uh oh Oh. i am not sharing potluck (laughs) with people that i'm not sure if they wash their hands or not why would you tell me that I'm sorry, man. Oh, man. But you know what? No, I'm not sorry to tell you. Don't be sorry, but. (laughs) Damn.
1: He's looking at
0: you for a uh, no, no, he's not. No, <laughs> it's not you. No, it's not you. We we chat while yeah. we wash our hands. I make sure
1: I like do it in the air so Very people well. can see the
0: hands. And it's not a John Hewlett thing. I'm not there for 30 seconds like scrubbing every single fiber of my hands, but I do think that there should be a concerted effort to, like, you know, not just run your hands under the water.
1: What? I got this thing, too. I, lo- I don't trust food from other people. Like if somebody, and it's not like any disrespect to them, but I don't know what your kitchen situation's like. Do you got a big dog that's got hair all over the place? Uh, Do you drop food and
0: put it back in the pan? I don't know how your cooking works. I did the worst thing in the history of ever. When I, the last time that I saw somebody not wash their hands in there, I tweeted, oh my gosh, I do not understand so-and-so, or I have people that don't wash their hands in the bathroom. So then, then, oh my God. You get this line of chuckleheads on Twitter that are like, well, what did he even touch? Did he even, are we talking about washing hands at home or are we talking about washing hands at work? And I'm like, oh my God, (laughs) you people are friggin' disgusting wash your goddamn hands after you go to the goddamn bathroom. Why are we, Not everything needs a freaking debate in 2023.
2: Alright, let me be honest here. I don't discriminate against uh, anything when it comes hands. to food. <laughs> yeah, no, if, uh, if you don't want to wash your hands, you don't want to <laughs> do whatever, I'm fine. I will still eat the potluck. I just want that to be upfront and honest there. And then the other thing, Donnie, is um, I'm a firm believer in this. So you see the four or five people, right? So those are the people that you see. But there's probably ten or fifteen others that don't. You
1: just don't know it, and you're still eating it.
0: Well, I'm not going to the potluck. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> nope. That I just haven't. that you just cemented it for me, Jr. I'm been, out.
1: I haven't been to a buffet since pre-COVID. Like I have not gone yeah. to a buffet area since pre-COVID. And there are some buffets I love. Like there's a at the Ameristar Casino. Get oh, out man. of town, dude. They got an incredible buffet, and they got a casino across. So you, can, you know, and go enjoy yourself. I haven't been since pre-COVID.
2: Yeah i trying to think if I've been to a place where I actually ordered a plate and they brought it straight to me. No, they've been all buffets.
1: <laughs> <laughs> JR said, I'm not waiting for you to bring me the <laughs> You've got like an old country buffet punch card. Right? Oh, my God. <laughs> old country
0: buffet. My God, the amount of times that I went there as a child. Oh, dude. Rough. I, well, I, Rough. in my early 20s, when I first started working in radio, um, my roommate was a college student, and uh, we would get, I mean – I don't know if I should say this or not on this podcast. We would get <laughs> elevated by marijuana and uh be super, 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 super hungry. And we would go and just make an idiot of ourselves. Oh yeah. At golden curled. <laughs> Gold, oh, like, golden like, Crown. like or golden Gold curled. I, I don't yeah. uh, oh, I don't remember what it would have been at that particular time, but like, oh God. I, that did just
1: some, was not great. I did some bread pudding damage at Old Country Buffet growing up. Oh, it looks like it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's what kills me That's about okay, guys.
0: Fires back at me. <laughs> All right. Uh, so potluck, I'm not going. Uh, JR. Uh, JR, up? did you enjoy your Metallica oh, experience? My goodness, it was oh, awesome. Yeah, it yeah, was yeah.
2: great. Yeah. You know what's funny is I ran into uh, our friend Jamie Rivers out in the concourse. And uh, we we're talking. Oh, you're here. Oh, you're here. Man, let's uh, super stoked. This is going to be fun. And then, how many people does that seat? We then walked to our seats 20 minutes later. We didn't go together. We went separately. I got a buddy. He's got buddies. And our seats are right next to each other. So we got to enjoy the concert with Riv. Some nice. him with his ACDC shirt on. And he was doing a little head banging. So what a show, Donnie. I mean, you've seen him a lot before. I have not. And uh, I mean, that was my high school years right there listening to Metallica.
0: Dude. That is a professional rock and roll band playing at a very, 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 very high level. Like, it is, um, Metallica is not one of my favorite bands of all time, you know, but I have monumental amounts of respect for them for what they have done. And, I mean, not to mention the music and things, but, I mean, battling through personal issues, a plenty, Papa Hett, and Lars, and you know what I mean? So, yep. like, there is a lot there. But, man, when you see those guys do that, I mean, it's it's exceptional. I mean, it's like, you know, man, it's like watching a, a hockey game. It's like watching a pro hockey game just w- with music. I oh, mean, yeah. those guys are just freaking incredible.
2: Well, and I'll add to what you're saying there is it is unbelievably incredible. But the fact that they're sixty years old, like you talk about a Jordan Cairo or you know a blues player with the skill that he has and this guy's 24, 25, And yeah, it's fun to watch and there's only a small percentage of the people in the world that can do that. But you know, usually, you know, we talk about being in bed by ten o'clock. and yeah. well, here's a bunch of sixty year olds jamming out and yeah. I mean I mean they don't let up for two hours. It was And then, and then do it again, again the next day. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well they the one thing that they say and I I they talked about this probably almost ten years ago, but they made a decision that they would predominantly tour on the weekends. So they will set up for the Friday and the Sunday show, and then on Sunday they'll take a private jet back home, so that by Monday morning they're in their own beds and resting, and and, and yeah. you know back home for kiddos and schools and all that other you know fatherly responsibilities but then also it gives them you know a full almost week to recharge if they're doing it every weekend but they said that like they space it out that way because one they enjoy it they can and then also two it's just kind of where they are and, and what's good for their body at this particular time. Well, that's point. how you
1: perform until you're 70
0: 75 by yeah.
1: treating yourself like that when you're
0: 60 do it's just so incredible to me that james hetfield still sounds like that unreal I mean and, and I mean and you think of all of the hundreds of thousands of shows that that guy has played and being 60. I mean, he still sounds great. I mean just great. He also does though as he gets older, he looks like the cowardly lion. <laughs> he does. About <laughs> 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 the <laughs> same thing. Yeah. <laughs> but just as dude long as you don't sound like the cowardly lion encouraged. you're good. You
1: <laughs> <needs some> <laughs> Da-da-da-da,
0: need some courage. Need some courage. Dude, the cowardly lion doing one I would be here for that I would I I would absolutely be here that for that The first note of one it's just goosebumps Dude it's it's just the first time that I saw them was at the amphitheater in 1993 as it was at Riverport and um I was not even really on board Metallica at all And I saw that show. It was Danzig, Suicidal Tendencies, and Metallica. And it was one of the greatest shows that I have ever seen. And uh, it was just like this sort of like rock and roll awakening in my mind. Like, oh my gosh, this is really something else. Because I kind of grew up more of like a pop and a you know pop alternative thing, so like I didn't really get into heavy music until I got a little bit older, but uh, man, that is a clinic, but I want to talk about one thing real quick, uh, and I'm probably not going to make any friends with this one but that's okay um not that, if it's about the potluck <laughs> that <laughs> that that dome sucks like yeah. that that that, that I, There has never been a time in my life of going to that Dome, Rams games back in the day, U2 back in the day. I have never thought, wow, this is a super pleasant experience. That place has always felt like a really crappy mall to me.
2: Yeah, crappy mall or just like a a, a building where they just stock stuff. It's just like a dungeon. But But it's always
0: felt like that even when the Rams were here to me. I, I, it's amazing. Yeah, I mean, obviously, when it was
2: so loud, you know, greatest show on turf, you know, those were pretty unreal experiences in terms of the loudness and the excitement that was going on. Right. But I agree with you that even during that time, it just felt like a tin can, like yeah. being inside it. And I saw, I think I saw Guns N' Roses there a few years ago. Awful, like it was the worst concert yep. experience. Not because of Axel's voice, because of <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, that it was. Uh, I feel just, like concerts wouldn't be great there. No, like but the this, sound this wouldn't, wouldn't work. Was pretty the, good.
0: The, was this old. one, this. This one is one of the exceptions. I think that when you have, you know, man, like your Beyonce's, your U2's, I mean, like the ones that can really bring a stage show, because if that show is not in the round like that, it's probably not as cool. That's what I was going to ask you that, right? Because of the round. I think so, because then it just gives everybody a perspective. Everybody gets a little turn. With the band. Yeah, that's you know what point. I'm saying? So I think that that, to me, helped to make that work. And then also when you're bringing in Pyro and all of the video things that they have, that certainly helps as well. But it's not ideal. And I'll tell you, you know, I love more than anything else on the planet almost More than sports more is when I am going into a dingy little bar slash club and it is packed and it is sweaty and it stinks, but the band is right freaking in front of you. That is my, that's my heaven. So this Metallica thing, it's different and it's fun and it's unique, but it's not something that I'd want to do all the time. That sounds like
2: me at showbiz. I want the bear right there (laughs) popping up and singing right in my face.
1: Only as long as everyone's washing their hands, though. Wash your damn hands. I'm telling you, you guys are going to
0: notice it now. No, I'm when not, you, I'm not when going you, to a potluck ever again. When you, No, no, no. When you're when you're in the bathroom and you're going to see one of these dudes not wash their hands and get out, and you're going to go,
1: oh, that's who he was talking. Someone needs to take up that position like uh, at, at hotels or whatever, fancy restaurants, that just stand there and hold the towel because they don't force you to wash your hands, but you feel pressured because there's a man
0: <laughs> staring at you the
1: entire time. I
0: don't need the pressure. I I, I, I like my hands to be clean. Alright, so what's pretty great about this podcast is that i am absolutely able to say how much like i said before that i don't know squat about squat Get and the last here. time that we were here on friday uh, i was gloom and doom and blah 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 and then the guys rip off two fantastic wins in a row the offense is coming the shots on goals seem to be coming gentlemen there's some glass half full here can, can
1: i can i say that the montreal canadians game was more impressive to me than the devils one and here's my explanation why. The Devils, very impressive win. I mean, you held New Jersey to less than three goals for the first time this season. Yes, they didn't have Jack Hughes. Yes, they didn't have Nico Heischer. Understandable. But they still had Dougie Hamilton, still had a really good defense, and you put four up on them. But Montreal's game, to me, and JR, you were, last year, we we went through this. Every time there was a back-to-back you knew that the opposition was going to outplay the Blues from start to finish because it was the, oh, well, they just played the night before or, oh, man, the travel really got to this team. And the back-to-back set, you're thinking, okay, probably not going to look as pretty. And on top of that, you took on a Montreal team that is fast, very fast. They're, they're all about speed. You outplayed them for three periods. Like at no, at zero point in that game, did I feel like Montreal was the better team. Other than when they were on the power play and they had four of them, so they had their chances. But other than that, at five on five, the Blues were faster than Montreal. They were more physical than Montreal. They got more shots on goal, more quality scoring chances in Montreal. And that was a team that was waiting around for you after you just played a back to back set. Yeah, and you know we've been talking a lot the past couple of weeks
2: about the Blues and can they keep up with some of these fast teams, right? and they did against Montreal, and I don't know. I mean, they didn't suddenly sign a bunch of fast guys, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I, I think what it is is something I asked Craig Bruby about after the game, Donnie, is that there's just a lot more flow right now, a lot more connectivity from the defense to the offense. I felt like the first eight games of the season or so, Uh, There was a lot of, okay, we're playing our new defensive system, we're going to get in the shell, we're going to block shots, and then, oh, there's the puck. Now we've got to do something with it. Okay, now we're going to the offensive zone, bad pass, turnover, it's coming back the other way. Whereas now they're still playing that defensive system, and they did it you know well against New Jersey and Montreal. But it's like, uh, okay, jump on this, pounce, boom, pass, short, and, and there's a flow to it. You can see the flow into the offensive zone. It's creating some confidence, and now these guys are doing something with the puck. You know, they were outshot in each of the first 5 games and they didn't have any more than 26 shots on goal in the last 5 games they've hit 35 three times yeah. so it's translating into offensive zone time and scoring chances
0: but, but but so legitimately here not to be the master of the obvious but you know I kind of am that sometimes <laughs> uh, <clears throat> this is this is just the system this is just the players getting more accustomed to the system thinking less and reacting more is i mean would i that think be- so. I, I think you're getting more in check I think the problem in the first
1: seven games of the season, there was no forecheck from the Blues. It would be, now not, not the whole season, because Calgary, they had the forecheck. Pittsburgh, they had the forecheck. But the games that they lost to Arizona, to Winnipeg, to Colorado, to Vancouver, there was no forecheck. It was what JR said. It was, okay, we got the puck, now just put it in the zone and see if somebody gets it. Nobody gets it, so now we're coming back the other way. Defensively, the system was always there. It's just the offense never really got that flow to it. I think some of it, too, is you're getting the defensemen involved now. Before, it felt like the defensemen weren't as involved in the offense, that it was, you know, you're in the blues, you're in the offensive zone, you're on the blue line, but you got to be ready for when the puck goes the other way, those odd man rushes. Now, I mean, that game against Montreal, Marco Scandella led a four-check behind the net. Colton Pareko has been jumping into the rush. Justin Falk's been jumping up into the rush. I just think you've got more of a sustained offensive zone time now to where you're winning puck battles, there's puck support. Steve Ott has talked about the, the 10 man the 10 foot support where when somebody's going after the puck, you got to have somebody who's 10 feet behind you. That wasn't the case for a while, and now you're starting to see that a little bit more. So I think it's always been there. You just haven't had the aggressiveness. And that's where that speed
2: comes in in terms of playing together with that 10-foot support because if the puck's going up ice and you got a guy 10 feet away, he can make that quick pass, and now you're boom, boom, boom. Now you're moving. And it doesn't matter about individual foot speed. Now it's about playing together. Right.
0: And so over the course of those couple of days, you had Kevin Hayes uh, finally got himself on the board, uh, correct, which mm-hmm. I'm sure was uh, a yeah, big goal. Yeah, which nearly was, a hat trick. And and also too, and I I know that this is not new, but I just want to tell people if they did not read the story that Kevin Hayes did about his brother Jimmy. Oh God, yeah! Please go back and and revisit that. It, it is such a um, it's heartbreaking, um, but it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just incredibly well done and made me. I mean not that I just didn't know A heck of a lot About Kevin Hayes But uh, boy, it just gives you A little bit of a sense Of the person on the inside Yeah
2: it's great That was in the Players Tribune And yeah. if people are Unfamiliar with that website That's a website Where kind of athletes Work with a ghost writer So you know The athletes get some help With uh, the writing But in these cases Like you're talking about I mean the words Come from Kevin Hayes and, uh, and then they Get a little help With the structure But it was very well Written a few months ago When it came yeah. out I remember texting Kevin Hey phenomenal piece um, You can tell How close Close. They were, and yeah. everything he says and writes, and and uh, for again for those people who don't know, uh, players get their last names imprinted on their sticks. If you look at the stick rack, you can see, you know, it says Vrana, Cairo, so on and so forth. And a Kevin Hayes' stick says Broadway, and that was his brother Jimmy's nickname. So uh, just a lot of memories. He he's got it all over his pads. Everywhere it says yeah. Broadway. I, I think that, and I talked
0: to I, I talked with Jamie a lot about this, um, and it's something that has become very very real to me and doing the podcast with Jamie when, for instance, talking about the trade deadline yeah, and the real ramifications and implications to people, you know what I mean? We get all revved up in the trade, trade, of trade, course. but you really yeah. absolutely don't think about the families that are affected by that. And so um, it is just really remarkable to me when you see any athlete open up that way, but also too. I just think that we as fans sometimes lose that perspective that these dudes are people too, man. Yeah. And that, you know, I mean, life happens and it's going to affect everything, including the game. Like, and that's all right. I yeah. mean, it's not ideal, but it's life and that's how it works. And so I when things like that come out, not only with 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 this with, with opiate addiction as the way that it is, it you know it keeps it at the forefront. But man, it's just so powerful to me in so many different ways. That's just a guy that I have. I'm gonna have. Yep. I ju- can just feel myself kind of gravitating towards that well, dude. As and,
1: and we were talking about this on the broadcast because Joey was talking to Kevin in the locker room following, I guess it was that loss against Colorado, going into the New Jersey game. And Joey said, you know, Joey always walks up to the guys and sits down next to him and chats with him. And Joey said. Kevin Hayes was going through it. Joey said Kevin was down. He was like, man, I I just, I got to get on the board. I can't get on the board. People forget the amount of pressure that some of these new players put on themselves. I mean, and think about Kevin Hayes of everything you've gone through, losing your brother. You were an East Coast guy. You were playing on the East Coast where your family was close. And now you go to the Midwest and it's a team that's trying to come back from the dead from last year. And you want to be a part of that fix. And he was going through it. I mean, watch his reaction to scoring that goal. I mean, you would have thought the man just won the lottery. Yeah. And and it's not just that. He did already a few yeah, times. I <laughs> guess that's true. <laughs> it's not just that. Go back and watch the bench's reaction. Go watch Verana's reaction and Letty's reaction on the ice. You can tell how impactful a player is to his team when he scores a goal. Yeah. And it happened with Shen against Montreal. But watching that entire bench, I even think the coaching staff was excited for Kevin Hayes. He gets on the board. That changes a lot. And Alex, what
2: you just, you just nailed it, but what you just talked about, when it comes to putting a team together, you might watch Kevin Hayes in the first seven or eight games and say, bust, why did Why did Doug Armstrong go out and get this guy? I've got him for a couple more years. What's going on here? Well, what Doug Armstrong is, is trying to do here, not only get through a retool, but put together a lineup of guys who want to play together yes. and play for each other mm-hmm. because if you looked at last year's team and, and not to single out one guy but you think they cared if Vladimir Tarasenko scored a goal no but Kevin Hayes comes in and ingratiates himself in the locker room he becomes one of those glue guys you know like several others on the team and now they want to jump out in front of a puck and, and block it now they want to go yep. win a battle you know you talk about the back and forth inconsistencies win-loss, win-loss. To me, that's why that win over Montreal was so important because they showed, hey, listen, we can play this way, and we can do it on more than one night. We can do it back-to-back nights. We can do it against a fast team. We can do it. So my point is they want to play for Kevin Hayes, and I think if if the Blues aren't as talented as a lot of teams in the league, they can compensate for some of that with that bond that seems to be developing with some of those players that's the
1: question you said going into the season jr said what i'm really going to be focused on is, is does this team group want to play for each other mm-hmm. because are they fighting in the on the walls for pucks for each other are they diving in front of shots for each other are they blocking stuff on the penalty kill because last year they weren't last year it was an individuality mentality to where he'll go get the puck and he'll get it over to me maybe you had some guys that were meshing that's not the case at least in the early portion of the season i mean even the bad losses You're still seeing them diving in front of shots on the penalty kill. You're still seeing them blocking shots right in front of the goaltender. And these are elements that weren't there last season. Yeah, whoever wrote that had a lot of force. hoots article was it? It might have been Lou Horak. No, maybe. yeah. Yeah. Somebody. (laughs) I I, I don't remember, though.
2: Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to
0: save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. Hey, real quick, before I just while I'm uh, while it's on the top of my mind, uh, in the games since Jakub Vorana has was sat was scratched. What do you guys What do you guys think?
2: Uh, I think okay. I mean nothing flashy. Uh, I think it's going to be tough for him to kind of you know all of a sudden wow people when it's third line twelve minutes. Mm-hmm. But you can play well in those twelve minutes. You know I think he got. Sat for a couple shifts, right? The next game game, after he came Mm -hmm. back. So, you know, I don't think anything overwhelming. I don't know that we're ever going to get to that. Yeah.
0: There's going to be like this lightning bolt moment where he kind of clicks in because you you said Mike Hoffman as the comparison last time. That's the Mike Hoffman effect. Yeah.
1: I mean, he had a nice assist on the Kevin Hayes goal. I mean, he had the one timer from the blue line in the New Jersey game and he got the assist on that one. But here's the thing for Yakub Verana. If you're only an offensive minded player late in games if it's a one goal deficit or a two goal deficit you're not going to be seeing the ice i mean unfortunately for him you're going to be sat on the bench while oscar sunquist jumps up on your line shift or jake neighbors because those are guys that move the play north those are guys that can hold the puck in the offensive zone and it's no disrespect to yaku verana because like he told you jr who am I? I'm an offensive-minded player who's got a really good shot. But if you're in a, a 3-1 game against the New Jersey Devils and they just pulled the goaltender with four minutes remaining, well, you're not going to be out on the ice in there. That's going to be your top lines that can win face-offs, that can win board battles, and move the
0: puck north. Okay, so I'm going to ask this question, and this might be a very dumb question, and please go ahead and make fun of me. <laughs> um, but, so, one of the things in which that Jamie and I have talked about on the podcast before when it comes to, like, say, Jordan Cairo and Robert Thomas is listen, you're a star, or a star in the making, or a really good player. I don't realistically expect you to be going balls to the wall 100% of the time, but there are times in the game where we need you to turn it on and to be one of the best players out there, all right? And so, you know, a Kairou or a Thomas or whatever, they're going to get a little wiggle room there because they have that unbelievable skill set where they could turn it on. Is Verona, he's not that guy. He's not that... Does his does his ability to only play offense, like, where is this guy going to go? Where is he going to find a home? Because it doesn't seem like – he just doesn't seem to be, like, a great fit for almost anyone.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I think his home is like Mike Hoffman was when he was with the Ottawa Senators. It's on the number one power play unit and ideal offensive zone times. Like, you could play that player with a really – strong, defensive-minded, two-way centerman, like, let's just, for example, say he was with the Calgary Flames. Calgary would probably be playing him with Elias Lindholm, because Lindholm's such a good two-way forward, and you can throw Jakub Verana up there to really get some instant offense going with that. But, I mean, on this team, it's just they have a mentality that they want to play, and I mean, the difference with Kairou, like Kairu last season was a little bit of Yakub Verana to where you only trusted him in the offensive zone. There were going to be turnovers and you were thinking, well, if he's not going to make a difference in his own end, what are we going to do here? Hence, the last couple of seasons, we've seen him only play 13, 14 minutes a night compared to now he's been playing 17, 18 minutes a night. But you know what the difference has been the season? He's been back checking. He's been... Stick lifting the opposition and creating offense off of his defensive play. He's putting a more onus on that defensive play in his own zone that creates that offense. If you're not going to do that, then there really is only one area for you, and it's the number one power play unit. The problem for Verana is they've already got five guys on that number one power play unit.
2: Yeah, and bottom line, a guy just to use Kyra as an example is a 25 year old guy with 201 points in the league who's got an $8 million contract where Verana's on his third team. And oh, by the way, the team that sent him to the
1: Blues said, we'll pay 50% of his yeah. salary. So, uh, And you've been on two yeah. teams already. But yeah. before that one, you were also moved. So that's Boy. And you've been in the league a little bit longer, too, than Jordan Cairo.
0: Yeah, so I, I want to ask this question, and uh, I'm not sure the exact... Uh, best way to do it. Uh, Transitions are always uh, troublesome for me on the radio or here on the podcast. But um, over the course of the last couple of years, you know, we have seen... What I would say is a bit of a roller coaster ride when it comes to to Jordan Cairo. Uh-huh. Um, a couple of years ago, the year that he went to the All-Star game, won the fastest skater competition. I remember the first half of that season. I thought, holy lord, baby Jesus, what do we have on our hands here? <laughs> yeah. But it seemed like the second half of that season was rough. It seemed like the league learned how to play him a little bit more. And then we have seen some sort of highs and lows over the course of the last couple of years. But I just get the underwhelm or the, the underlying feeling that this dude is a superstar either now in front of our eyes and we're just not appreciating it or he is right on the cusp of it. He looks like a... St- an incredibly special player,
2: Alex. Before you answer that, I just want to say that was an amazing transition. That was a really great that transition. Was, was yeah, amazing. man. Donnie I've been thinking
0: a... here for the last five minutes how I was going to make that. Donnie out.
1: needs to take the victory lap. How am I going to get into the Cairo conversation? I was gonna say, you, you see how you he nailed like, it. He slowly led up to it too. He got to the
0: verana, how he's not a
1: star and how he can get there, and then he's like, "Oh, but then there's this guy who is a superstar." I got to take tell your bow, Donnie. I feel real good about it right now. <laughs> take thank your bow, much. Donnie. <laughs> so run with that segue. And oh, thank oh, God, but, like
0: you, there should have been smoke coming out of my head but as hard as I was thinking. I'm sorry. I was no. wondering why
1: you were sitting over there so silent. I'm like, what is Donnie doing right now? It looks like he's pondering a Sunoku puzzle, but instead he's just coming up with a transition. I'm glad you set me up so well. Yeah. This is the one-timer opportunity. So You better hit this I one. Better, because this is like when I said I have a rant and it's not really a rant. Oh, God, it's awful. Donnie's first assist. <laughs> Let's go. Around. So I went back through this because he hit the, the threshold now where he's gotten 200 points in 226 games. Jeez. So I'm thinking that's a really cool accomplishment. How does that compare to other guys who are viewed a star. We had this conversation, what, a couple of weeks ago of can a team survive if they don't have a number 1, number two, three, four, five overall pick? So I'm going to give you guys names and tell me if they're considered stars in the league. Elias Pettersson. Yes. David Pasternak. Yes. William Nylander. Am I the only one doing this? JR? JR. Clayton Keller. Vladimir yes. Tarasenko. Jack Hughes. Yeah. Dylan Larkin. Alex Dabrinkit. All those guys considered stars in the NHL. Well, Jordan Cairo got to 200 points faster than every one of those players that I just mentioned. All of these guys. Alex doing his homework. Look at me. How about that? Pedersen did it in 230 games. Pasternak, 250. Now, look, some of these are certain situations, like William Nylander took him 281 games. But remember, he missed that one season because he was a holdout to get his contract. But when you look at a guy like Vladimir Tarasenko, when you look at a guy like Dylan Larkin, the one that got me was Alex Dabrinkit. I mean, people in this offseason were talking about trading Jordan Kyrou so that they could bring in Alex Dabrinkit. It took Dabrinkit 255 games. Here's the one that really got me. Think of those names. I just gave you guys to Larkin Tarasenko Nylander all of these guys got there playing with superstar players Jordan Kyra got to 200 points playing with another player who we hope becomes a superstar he's been playing it with a guy who was a superstar in Vladimir Tarasenko he's not playing with the John Tavares or an Austin Matthews he's playing with Robert Thomas and Braden Shannon that's not disrespecting those two guys But Jordan Kyrou's creating this offense himself. To do 200 points in 226 games is a massive accomplishment. But then look at just this season in general. He's got 25, or no, 39 shots on goal in 10 games. That's top 25 in the league. And a lot of those guys that are above him, actually 21 of those 25 guys that are above him, have played 11 or 12 games. So, I mean, we're talking about a guy who's putting up a ton of shots. Yeah. His shooting percentage now is at 5%. His career is 13%, so this guy could probably have six or seven goals if he converts on a couple of those breakaways. So I maybe it wasn't just that game, maybe it's more this season, but I felt like that weekend, New Jersey and Montreal, that to me was kind of the, hey... Welcome to the show, Jordan Kyrou. You're now in that star conversation.
2: That's good stuff. And uh, I'll just tell you guys, I was reading an article. I don't know where I, I found it, but I'll just read from it here for for one second. Uh, he's going to one up here with his own piece. Uh, unbelievable. If you look at all active players, and I'm reading from the the article here. I don't know where I found it. Uh, played who've played less than 300 games in the NHL. Kyrou's point total of 201 points ranks second right now among all active players in the league behind Dallas's Jason Robertson star, right? So,
1: that that would be considered a star in my yeah. mind.
2: So okay, oh, the Athletic, uh, oh, Rutherford I, it does says. I take uh, Jeremy yeah, Rutherford
1: yeah. on it. Oh big damn. You just got a you just got a, an assist on two different goals, Donnie. <laughs> hey, and,
2: and listen to this. So Jason Robertson, 242 points. Again, this is all active players less than 300 games in the league. Um and then Kairos behind him at 201. So that's numbers 1 and 2. Third place, we're down to 124 points. Like, oh it's not God. even close. So it's just Robertson and Cairo among those players.
0: What What do you, what do you think the ceiling is for Cairo? What, I mean, 100-point season?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it would be a 100-point season. I mean, you're talking 100-point season. We all believe he could be a 40-goal scorer. You're talking about picking up 60 assists. Or maybe you have more than 40 goals. I mean, they haven't had a 100-point score since, what, Shanahan? So it's been a while to put him in that conversation, but... I mean, again, we're talking about a 24-year-old who has put up numbers like Jason Robertson and look at what Jason Robertson just did. He had 120 points in the season. So yeah. a lot of those 100 point seasons rely on your line mates and you got to have the best from those guys. So that's why at the beginning of the season when he was playing with Thomas, I thought it was achievable. Now, when you're playing with Brayden Chen and Brandon Sod, that's two lines that are going to be splitting up the ice time. But I mean, he's shown the ability to do that when you talk about a dude who's got a 13 career shooting percentage, a guy who's putting up nearly 40 shots on goal through 10 in games, that's a guy who could get there at some point.
2: Man, Donnie, when you said a 100-point guy, it made me think. Uh, you remember when Paul Correa came out and said Patrick Berglund's going to be a 100-point guy one year, Ooh. one day? Why do you got to bring up that, man? <laughs> Why do you got to bring up that? <laughs> it didn't, uh, didn't age well. but didn't, no. didn't come to fruition. No, no, yeah. no, no. 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 I think Cairo's got the potential for sure. And listen, we could talk to the cows come home about, you know, a defensive lapse here or there, whatever, plus minus, whatever you want to talk about. But, you know, as I tried to say in the article today, uh, at the athletic, also is if somebody just came up to you and said, "Hey, listen, how's your Blues team? Oh, they're pretty good. Well, hey, I got this 25-year-old. He scored 37 goals. I'm not going to tell you his name, but you want him? Yeah, I'll take him. Well, let's. The year prior scored almost guy? 40. Yeah, uh, yeah. Give me that guy. Okay, it's, it's Jordan Kyra okay <laughs> yeah, <for> sure. <laughs> what's the problem here whatever so yeah there's going to be some warts but uh he's a dynamic player yes he has the potential for 100 points and i even think he has more potential than patrick Berglund uh, did to get and to, that's to saying
0: 100. something right there
1: <laughs> love you patrick Berglund.
0: oh boy talk about a lot of pressure put on a guy oh.
1: well at least paul Korea's not saying it about him though right
0: <laughs> boy oh boy all right so next gentlemen. transition yeah Come on, Donnie. Yeah, no, I, I don't have anything. I just, I it just went completely Speaking blank. Speaking of one hundred point potential, <laughs> no, I think, uh, I, I, I think what is, uh, I, I, I think it's very easy to get kind of, I don't know, man. I guess we just kind of take guys like Kairou and Thomas for granted a little bit. I think that they just are so good, and we expect so much of them so soon that sometimes, man, you just. The maturity and the skill have got to kind of sort of catch up to each other. And that seems like that's what that's kind of happening.
2: Yeah, I think so too. And I think also what I've seen over the years is when a fan base looks at a a roster, and especially now, when these guys get the contracts. You're putting your eggs in, in their basket, so they have to be like. Yeah. If, if a guy's making that's three million, part. four million, okay, well, if he doesn't pan out, he doesn't pan out. When you make eight point one two five million for the next eight years, you better work out. And so I think that's why there's so much pressure, and also because you see the skill there. Like when you see them team up on a goal, yeah. and you're like, "Wow, that is our fu- That's amazing." But then you, they're still going to go through the stretches where they're learning, and especially Alex now because. Um, you know, they they have to do it without Ryan O'Reilly, you know, without Terry yeah, Sinko. The guys to lean on when things go bad. Yeah, and that's how it is. That's what pro sports is. I mean, you're the one who got paid. Now they're gone. You're the guy. Uh, but it doesn't
1: mean that overnight, all of a sudden, you're going to go mistake free. That's why I personally, I know people don't want to hear it because it was such a bad year. I think last year was necessary for this season. Like, I think last season was necessary for Jordan Cairo and Robert Thomas to take these next steps. One. I mean, look, when when you have a bad season like that, when you just got your contract, when you were, I don't even remember what he was, like a minus 30 or something, and when you're getting chewed out by your coach nonstop, you don't want that to happen again. You can't do that for another 82 games, and you know you're better than that. So that's one part of it. But I think last season was necessary to not be in the playoffs and see these teams make the playoffs, watch Ryan O'Reilly and Vladimir Tarasenko go out the door and say, great, there's nobody else. It's on us now. If you don't have last season, if you just squeak into the playoffs or you stay that 500 team, I'm not sure you're seeing this season from Jordan Cairo that we are right now. So this is that this is that stepping stone that Doug Armstrong has talked about to get into that new era of hockey. Hopefully it continues. You're probably going to see the snowball go the other way at some point. but. You needed last year to happen to get to this
0: point. That mean that makes a ton of sense. Uh, Quick question: Is that was that really Keith Kachuk's helmet that they're wearing after the game?
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's a big one. That (laughs) thing
0: is massive. We'll see. So here's here's. So I was listening to—I don't remember if it was the pregame, postgame, post-game, or it was intermission—but um, I think it was Grant Francis oh, that yeah, was with chatting Thomas. with Robert Thomas. Mm-hmm. And boy, Robert, whew, lack of respect for uh, Mister uh, Big Walt and his <laughs> uh, and his bucket. But uh, but uh, they're talking about how huge this helmet is, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, whatever. And then I saw a picture. Holy jeez! On Kevin Hayes's head. Yes, it's
1: it's huge. <laughs> it's and, amazing how they they look so old so quickly. Oh
0: yeah, that seemed
1: normal like not too long. That ago. Made, You're right, that made, man. It looks like what the Super Nintendo looked like when you left it in the sun for too long and the like sun just <laughs> faded it to this like pea yellow. That's what that hat looked like. Did Donnie, you,
0: quick story. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, 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 no. I was just going to say that. I mean, it looks like you could go fishing in that. <laughs> <place>. It's gigantic. <laughs> well,
2: it reminded me of this. Um, so for several years, I used to travel with the team where you were on the team plane, team bus, so on and so forth. And I'll never forget, uh, this is during the Keith Kachuk, Dallas Drake, Doug Waite years. And, you know, plane lands, everybody gets on the bus. Now we're taking the bus to the hotel and we're going through some small town. And there's this huge like water tower, right? But it's kind of a fat, shorter one as opposed to the tall, skinny one like we have in God's country in Arnold. (laughs) Damn right. uh, (laughs) But I'll never forget this. So uh, you could clearly hear that it was Dallas Drake. He looks at this big, fat water tower and he goes, hey, Big Walt.
1: There's your helmet. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, the chirping was at an all-time high on that group. Dude, that's so Man, that's fantastic. Also, too, real quick, um, for what it's worth, and not that this is a big thing for us Blues fans, but I thought Brady Kachuk handled himself really well with the auto media the other day when, yeah. the, when the crowd was booing and the team not playing very well. I mean, I thought I thought that the dude handled himself like a captain. It's you guys captain. agree? Disagree?
1: Yeah, I, I was amazed at how many people were reacting to what Brady Kachuk was saying. It's like, man, he's, he's basically saying what every fan wants to hear. Like, guys, there's no point in booing. We're working our asses off right now to get to the level that we need to. And he also was defending DJ Smith. I, I think he truly likes the head coach there in Ottawa, and that man's under so much fire right now. But, yeah, I, I loved it. That's what you want your captain to say in a bad situation like that.
2: Yeah, admittedly, a little bias here. You know, I've gotten to know Brady a little bit and, uh, you know, great guy, great family, whole nine yards. Um, but I, I think that as a reporter, I liked hearing what he said because he's sticking up for his team yeah. and he's, a, he's, he's doing his captain role there. Whereas if he says the, hey, we deserve it cliché, I get it. You know, at least you're taking the heat for not playing well. But I think it's more important to, hey, let's keep this thing going in the right direction. Let's let people understand that we're trying our asses off, like you said. And, and you know, let's try to get this thing turned. We hear you. We get it. We know we're not playing bad. You want to boo, that's your right. But just know that I'm not going to put up with it, and I'm going to tell you how I feel about it.
0: Dudes, I just thought of this real quick. A playoff series with Matthew Kachuk <laughs> and, and Brady Kachuk. Oh, yeah. Oh, Oh, yeah oh my god. Right, I would watch every minute of every everything and of that. And Pete Kachuk in the stands with the OB Clarks hat. Oh, like. <laughs> dude, That's so fantastic. And what was it? Because somebody was going to throw the OB Clarks hat last year or something and oh, he yeah, like kept he them from do doing it, it because way. he liked that hat that much. Who
1: gets more camera time? Taylor Swift at a Kansas City Chiefs game or Big Walt at a Kachuk versus Kachuk playoff game? That was game? the best OBs ad right there. Like, oh dude, dude,
0: you cannot there is no way that you can get any better advertising than that dude it was I absolutely big perfect Wolf. all right so uh blues and winnipeg tonight then they're back in action on thursday yep. night and that closes out the homestead, yep. right.
1: right arizona thursday and then you go to colorado on saturday so we'll have two games to react to that's a lot of fun and central division matchups and against two teams that uh kind of played you and you looked poor in so yeah big Ooh. matchups well i get
0: a little I get butterflies when you talk about Colorado. It's like any Bills game now. It just makes me sick to my stomach. Um, All right. uh, Here's what we got going on, everybody. Thank you very much for listening to the Last Minute Blues podcast. You have the ability to send us emails as well. LMBP at 1057thepoint.com. That's LMBP at 1057thepoint.com. Send it to the Last Minute Blues podcast. For Jamie Rivers, Jeff Burton. Uh, We have got our friend Alex Ferrario from 101 ESPN. Jeremy Rutherford from The Athletic. I'm Donnie Fandango. Thank you for listening. And as always, let's go Blues. Wash your hands. The Last Minute Blues Podcast. Hear more at 1057thepoint.com.